Welcome everyone to Lessons with Mike. Happy May. Can you believe it's already May? Jesse, it's May, isn't that right? Hey, I'm Jesse, and you're approaching your one-year anniversary soon. That, that's correct. May, later this month, will be the one-year anniversary. I've already hit my one-year goal, uh, so now we're just seeing how high we can get in the total the total number. Get the number high. Higher numbers equals better. Isn't that right, Jesse? And more money. Yeah, money. Money is always a positive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, you know, with every new month, uh, comes time for me and Jesse to do a, a recap of the movies that we saw in the preceding month. So Jesse only saw one film in April. I saw six films in April. So Jesse, you go first with your one film. All right. So the film that I saw was Superman Battle of the Super Studs. It came out in October of 2022 and it is part of the animated movies that DC does like they do like a few every year. Is it in the continuity? No, it's a standalone. And also what's unique about this film is that it's two two D shaded, so it's not like traditional animation style. You know what I mean? You mean three D? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It didn't look very interesting to me. I've never been a big fan of Damien or uh uh Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah, Jonathan Kent, that was his name. Yeah, that's what I said, Jonathan Kent. Yeah, I've never liked him or Damien. But uh did uh, you like the movie? I I enjoyed it. It was better than Catwoman Hunted, I thought. Yeah, I see I've missed out on, I've missed a few of the DC animated movies, gotta catch up on those. Anyway, yeah, I'm trying to catch up too. Do you have anything else you want to add about it? Yeah. Yeah, I do like that the villain was Starro the Conqueror. Starro's been showing up in a lot of things lately. Yeah, because of the Suicide Squad. But yeah, other than that, it was a pretty fun like movie to like waste some time on and get to your lists. Yeah, yeah. All right, for me, we'll start off with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, a 2004 film starring Jim Carrey. And I also want to connect this to the most recent film I watched, uh, Bullet Train, a 2022 film. So in the film Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, it's very interesting. There's uh, this service where you can go to this doctor and this doctor will erase memories of a certain person from you. Um, and Jim Carrey goes to this doctor after finding out his ex-girlfriend went to this doctor to have memories of him removed from her, played by Kate Winslet. And it's very interesting because even though both of them have their memories removed of the other person, they find each other and they begin a, and they just, they fall for each other again. And it's, it's a very interesting message about fate and destiny. And that goes well with the message of the film Bullet Train starring Brad Pitt. It's a very simple on the surface film where, you know, a bunch of people are on a train and things happen. But the message beyond that film, behind that film is that who's to say, you know, I mean, the whole point of Brad Pitt's character being named Ladybug, it's supposed to be a joke because Ladybug's in Western culture is supposed to be lucky. And he says he's very unlucky, but you know, who's to say what's good or bad, right? X event happens. Y event happens. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? There's really no way to know until, you know, you see what the outcome of the event is and what's supposed to happen. will find its way of happening. And, if what you want to happen is what happens, you might not get the des- you might not get the desired outcome if what you want doesn't happen, but the correct outcome tends to happen over time as things develop. But uh, yeah, you've heard of Bullet Train, haven't you? 
Yes, I have. It's rather recent too. Yeah, it's a pretty. It's I really liked it. Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, one of my one of his best roles, I think. Uh, speaking of him, Craven the Hunter is coming out soon, and I hear it's R rated. Really, yes, something that was missed out in Venom Two. Venom Two definitely should have been R rated. Uh, there's no reason for it not to be. I feel like uh, and Venom Two, a uh, lot of missed opportunities with that one. It was fun, yeah. but it had so much potential. Venom 2, let there be wasted potential. That's what we can call it now. Wasted potential. But hey, hopefully Venom 3 is good. You know, Venom 2 wasn't even that bad. It, it wasn't, though. It, it just it could have been so much better. Anyway, we're going to move on. I don't have a whole lot to say about the philosophy of Bullet Train or, or anything else about Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. I would uh, definitely recommend both of those. Very interesting takes on psychology, especially Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. It's less less of an action comedy and more of like a deep psychological romantic type movie, but it's really, really interesting. And bullet train is more, you know, rapid, more, you know, quick succession. Things happen like event happens and event happens. There's no time to process the events. There's a lot of fun celebrity of cameos in the movie as well. So I think it's something that you'll enjoy hmm. moving on. Uh, this movie, came, two movies I saw in theaters this previous month. The Super Mario Brothers movie and Renfield. Uh, starting off with Renfield, the movie from Universal Studios, I believe, about Dracula's assistant, Mr. Renfield. And Jesse, you haven't seen it, so we're not going to you know, get into too many spoilers. But basically, Nicolas Cage plays Dracula, and Renfield is his servant, and Renfield doesn't want to do that anymore. Renfield is like, uh, I don't want to, you know, bring you people to eat anymore. And Dracula says, basically, that he has to keep doing it. So there's a, a tense stage off between Renfield, who you know wants to do a more positive things with his existence, and and Dracula, who wants to you know not do more positive things with his existence. So it's a very, uh, you know, I didn't expect it to be very good. Um, it, it was very good. There's a lot of messages in the film about exiting abusive relationships, whether that be a romantic relationship, a familiar relationship, or, or some other type of relationship. There's a lot of powerful messaging in there about taking control of your own lived experience and then getting yourself out of those situations. I think there's a lot that can be applied from the movie uh, into everyday life as well. Do you have any thoughts on Renfield, Jesse? Well, I've never seen Renfield, but the trailers didn't look bad. Basically, so Dracula, it's interesting. One of my favorite parts, uh, Dracula, you know, he sucks blood to get his powers. Renfield eats bugs, so he has a little case of bugs with him. <laughs> he just pops the bugs in his mouth to get the powers, which I, I didn't know much about. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about this character before the movie. I just thought that was, uh, that was funny. And, you know, the Universal Studios has, has tried to make, you know, they have all the film rights to these properties. And it's it's just as if nothing can stick, right? Um, Man, was, the dark you. The dark uh, universe was absorbed by a black hole some time ago, and all traces of it no longer seem to exist. Uh, lost Tom, to time. Lost to time, yeah. The Mummy with Tom Cruise was not good. Um, <laughs> Dracula, un I like how they started with Dracula Untold. This is going to be the start of the Dark Universe, and then when that didn't go well, the Mummy is going to be the start of the Dark Universe, and neither one of them were particularly good. <laughs> Dracula Untold was better, though. Uh, you know, it's subjective, I guess, because I don't remember much about Dracula Untold. Uh, 
but I do remember at least a little bit from the Mummy film. I remember uh, Jake Johnson was in it, and I always pre- and Courtney B. Vance was in the Mummy as well. Uh, Dracula Untold. It came out when I was a little younger, so maybe that's why I don't remember as much about it. But anyway, moving on to the other film I saw in the year 2023, the current year, the previous month, the month of April. That is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Jesse, what do you know about the Super Mario Brothers movie? Well, recently it just grossed $1 billion at the box office, so that's really good for video game movies. It's now the highest grossing and video game movie ever. Uh, Previously it was Sonic, and now it is the Mario movie. Now, when this movie was first announced, there was a lot of negative reaction that I saw, particularly with regards to the voice cast. Uh, Chris Pratt, in particular, was someone that not too many people were excited about. But one thing I noticed in the movie is... The only character that I could really tell was Seth Rogen's Donkey Kong. Everyone else, I think, did a very good job of putting on a voice. They didn't really sound like the people. They sounded like, you know, like Charlie Day's Luigi just sounded like Luigi. And, you know, Jack Black did very well performing as Bowser. And, you know, the movie, it was, there was a lot going on. And if you've never heard of the Mario character, you might be confused. But there's a lot of references, a lot of Easter eggs, and there were parts of the movie, watching it felt exactly like playing a Mario game or any kind of platforming game. And I really enjoyed that. And what a lot of prior video game movies missed out on up until recent years is they wanted to do something original. And there's a place for originality, sure. But if you're going to make, let's, let's take, for example, the video game uh, Pac-Man, for instance. If you wanted to make a Pac-Man movie and you want to market and promote that as a Pac-Man movie, you would have to be connected to that 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 universe, that existence, that that product, the property. Um, the, the original Mario Brothers movie in the 90s is so loosely connected with the Mario games. It's so bad. It's similar to this, the, the older Mortal Kombat movies, they're just... They try to do things separate from the games, whereas more recent video game movies tend to stick a lot closer to games. The Last of Us isn't a movie, but a TV show based off a game. It was pretty much a direct adaptation of the story of the game. And there's pros and cons to that, because you basically have just a recreation of the same story. But, and there's no real way to improve on that. But if you deviate too much from the source material... You end up with a product that is not only off-putting to people who were expecting to see an adaptation of the original material, but it is off-putting to people who have no idea what the original material is, because you can't really do that. So I think it's a good thing that video game adaptations are leaning in to the silliness and the craziness aspect, uh, because I enjoyed the Mario movie. It wasn't too... it, it didn't take itself too seriously. And it was a lot of fun to watch. And I think you should see it at some point, Mr. Jesse. Yes, I've heard it's very good. And why haven't you seen it? I just had yet. Well, why not? I don't know. Well, why don't you go see it tomorrow? Uh, I don't know. That's not very helpful, Jesse. Correct. Anyway. Anyway. Two more films that I saw in the previous month that we're going to go over, and these are very interesting films, The Belko Experiment and Would You Rather. So The Belko Experiment we're going to discuss first, and this is one I've been wanting to watch for a while. 
because it seemed interesting. It's like you have a the basic premise. Have you heard of the movie? I've heard of Belko's favorite, yes. So the basic premise is a bunch of people uh, that work in this building. They are trapped in the building, and they're forced to kill each other. It's like Hunger Games, but they're office workers trapped in a building. And there are some things I really liked about this movie. I liked how it showed that the factions were forming. There were characters in the office who were like, okay, we can't, we can't get out of this unless we kill each other. We got to kill each other. And other characters would say things like, Oh no, we can't do that. We have to. And unfortunately, one thing that was not very good is, and if I was, this James Gunn had some involvement in this film and, you know, the cast, the acting choices, except for the main character, I thought did very well. Uh, There's something about the main character in the film who, I'm not sure the actor's name, but there was just something I found off-putting about him. Like, he just, I don't know, everyone else seemed to be trying really hard, and then he was just there, is the vibe I got. Maybe he was trying really hard, I don't know. It just uh, was not a good performance, in my opinion. But one back to what I was saying earlier, the real missed opportunity is that it's not a very creative movie when it comes in terms of, you know, how the individual people are killed. You would think if it was a, an office-type setting, various office supplies would be used to kill people. That that is not the case. For some reason, they all get guns, and guns are what kills the people. And there's one at the very end where an office supply is used to kill someone, but mostly it's just guns. And, yeah, it's it could have been more creative. And the ending, I thought, was silly. And... Uh, it, unrealistic in my opinion because to get into a little bit of spoilers here the character who wins the Belko experiment is obviously the main protagonist of the film when is in real life based on the challenges based on the circumstances dictated by the the people that were issuing the challenge the final challenge was this there are only x amount of you left within this amount of time whoever has killed the most people will be allowed to live based on the rules they explain at that point, and then they announced who had the who had the most kills. Only a few people had kills. At that point, the man who had the most kills should have just stayed hidden until the time was up, because he had the most kills, and he had statistically such a high amount of kills that no one would have been able to come up to that level of kills. So he would have won by default. There was one person that might have been able to get to that number, but still was several behind. So I think the most logical course of action would have been just to wait. And it really goes to show when people are put in these situations, you can, you vary these social experiments because the whole film, it's like a psychological social experiment. Jesse, have you ever heard of the Milgram experiment? Refresh me on that. It sounds familiar. Okay. So Stanley Milgram, uh, the psychologist did this experiment some, some decades ago. He would tell people to shock someone if they did not answer a question correctly. And the person was in on it. The, the person who was answering the questions, they would intentionally give wrong answers. And the, the purpose of the experiment was to see how long people would shock the other person just if the instructor said so. There's some really interesting videos about this. And the, the participant is instructed to say, Al, that really hurts. I'd like to quit the experiment. My heart's starting to bother me. And even when there's complete silence, some of these people thought maybe the other guy was dead even they still kept pushing the button. They, they pushed back, they argued, but the experimenter just kept telling them, no, no, you just keep pushing the button. The experiment must continue. It's a very interesting thing of humanity 
we we end up we tend to defer to other people in most cases if those people are presumed to have some sort of authority. Um, in that case, they had an authority, a knowledge, maybe that we didn't have. And I don't know. It's interesting to think because if I was in that experiment, I most likely would do the same thing. I mean, it's an experiment. This is a controlled environment. Of course, I am not someone who would be able to participate in most research studies because I have a psychology degree. I know a lot of the tricks in conducting research studies. So I'm not the most ideal candidate to participate in one. And that's okay. But I like to think that with the knowledge I have now, I would assume it's a controlled experiment and with all the restrictions that are in place now. But still, it's interesting to think, like, what would you do if you're in that situation and it wasn't a controlled experiment? What would you do in that kind of situation? Jesse, what do you think you would do? Like, in just, like, in the process of someone telling me to, like, keep shocking someone? Yeah, what what would you do if you were in the Milgram experiment? Like if the I feel like if I was like hurting the person, I'd probably like either stop or decrease the pain. Okay. Well, you need to look up those videos. It's a very interesting thing, and but there's a lot of wasted characters in the Belko experiment as well. Because uh, David Dalmatian is that his name, Jesse? Who? The polka dot man. I I don't remember off the top of my head how to say it. David Desmelchian. I don't know how to say it, but he... Uh, oh, the guy from The Pianist? The Pianist. That's Roman Polanski. Yeah, I think that I have that in my Oh, no, that's Adrian list. Brody. Uh, anyway, oh. he played the polka dot man in the Suicide Squad film. Oh, and I think he played Scarecrow in Batman Begins. <laughs> I believe he did, yes. He was in the film. Michael Rooker is in the film. And they don't really do a whole lot in the film, and which is a disappointment. This is a little bit of a disappointment. And there's other characters that also don't do a whole lot. And there's one scene where, you know, they're trapped in this building. And one of the characters decides that the water is poisoning them and starts tearing off the water coolers and spilling them all over the floor. And this is all just really silly. Some of it, in my opinion, is really silly. I, I don't know how people would react in this case. I feel like the most accurate reaction is uh, Barry, the CEO of the building. His character reacted like, oh. We got we to gotta kill some of these people. We can't. They're only going to let one of us live, so we, we can't just let us all die. And it's interesting. It goes back to Star Trek. Spock said this. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But in that situation, the many are the ones who aren't going to survive. So it's really it's tough to figure that out. At what point do you say, well, we can't let everyone die. Some of us have to live on the Titanic. Women and children first. We're okay with some of you dying as long as some of us live. Where do you find that point where do you find that nexus where you come to the the realization like okay we're okay with this many people dying as long as this many people live if you have a hundred people only 99 if you have a hundred people only one lives is it okay if 99 people die to keep one people alive or to keep one person alive do you and you decide who's more fit like not fit but more like adequate to help society how do you decide which should be the one person that should live these are a lot of questions that the Belko experiment brings to the table and then promptly flips the table and doesn't answer them or give you time to think about them, really. Um, because the person who ends up winning is not someone who realistically should win. There are several opportunities in the film where characters that, if they had stayed in character, would have killed him, but they just don't for some reason. 
And because of this, he ends up, you know, winning the, because it's, there were some times while watching it, I was hopeful that it would go a different direction, but that was my own naivete. I think if you've ever seen a movie before, it will be fairly clear to you who is going to win. And from the first scene, you'll know who's going to win. But that's beside the point. Moving on to the surprise film of the month, a film I didn't think I'd ever watch because it seemed like one of those generic, uninteresting horror slasher movies. It was called Would You Rather. A Jesse, do you remember the Justice League Unlimited show? Yes. Uh, do you remember the character The Question? Yes. That character was voiced by Jeffrey Combs, and Jeffrey Combs plays the main character in the film, Would You Rather? Or one of the main characters. So basically, he is a rich person, and he's got a great voice, incredible voice. It's really captivating, really pulls you in. He plays a very rich man who finds a bunch of people who are really in difficult situations. And he says to them, I'm going to invite you to this house party. You show up. We're going to play a game. The winner of the game will get everything they need. Money, resources, time, whatever you need, we'll get it. And then one of the characters, Iris, her brother has some sort of condition, some sort of disease. And she cannot get a job to take care of him. She's running out of money to take care of him. So she ends up going to the event. Lawrence Skiller Jr. is in it as well. He played Bob in The Walking Dead. And mm. he's, he's, yeah, you remember Bob? Yes, tainted yeah. meat. Tainted meat. Tainted meat. Anyway, so he's in the film. Uh, but... Gray is in the film as well. For some reason, uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I'm not sure if that was a marketing gimmick or what, because I have never thought, she's been in several films. I've never thought any of her performances were particularly good. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just missing something. I'm not an acting coach or a director, so maybe I'm missing the finer elements. Jesse, what do you think? It sounds. It sounds like it has like an interesting premise to it, and like a good no, cast. Jesse, Jesse, what do you think about what I just said? Oh, I thought you were just talking about like the movie in general. Okay, now back to the movie in general, right? So they go there, and they don't know what the game is. And then Iris says, "Oh, I can't eat this. I'm a I'm a vegetarian." And then Jeffrey Combs's character, Shepard, is the character's name, says, "Oh, well, Iris, you have to eat it because if you eat it, I'll give you X amount of money, like ten or twenty thousand dollars." And Iris is like, okay, yeah, and she eats the steak for the money. And then another person who's a recovering alcoholic, the same thing happens to him with alcohol. He drinks it and gets a large sum of money. And the whole thing about the film is how the rich people exploit the poor for their own amusement. Now, this came out a while ago. This genre, I know, has seen a resurgence lately. Uh, there have been a lot of projects that have explored this theme about how the rich take advantage of the poor for their own amusement. Uh, the White Lotus, the menu. I haven't seen the menu, but I, I've got a vague idea about what, what what goes on it. Maybe by the next time we do an episode, I'll have seen the menu. But in this film, it, it, it's really interesting how and um um, Gotham actor Penguin. Which one? Gotham. Uh the Ro- guy that's Robin also Lloyd. in John Wick. Robin Lloyd Taylor is he in John Wick? Yeah. Isn't he like one of the people that increases dummies? Oh yeah, he is in there for like two seconds, I think. I'm pretty sure that's him. Anyway, he's in the film. He plays Shepard's son, and he's got a... It's strange, because like he gets a little rapey at one point, and then Shepard gets mad at him. And it's it's interesting how that plays out. 
Um, surprisingly, the film is not as violent or bloody and graphic as you would think. I don't even believe it's an R-rated film. I think it's PG-13. Um, there are some scenes, and I have a thing with eyeballs that I can't handle. There's a scene where someone has to slit their eyeball open with a razor blade, and I Oof. recoiled during that scene. I had to look, because I can't can't deal with eyeballs. But it's a very interesting film. Not a lot of the, there's not a lot of would you rather questions, right? Because one of them is like, would you rather shock yourself or shock the person next to you? Would you rather stab this person with an ice pick? Or would you rather get hit with this African whipping pole? Or it's very interesting. And a lot of the characters aren't really fleshed out. You don't really get to know a whole lot about them, why they're there, or what their purpose is. But the idea is they're all there because they really need resources and money. And at the very end, it comes down to two characters. And the final would you rather is, would you rather kill him and win the game? Or have you both live, walk away, but neither of you get anything? And it's very interesting because I was expecting the film to go a certain way. Spoilers, heavy spoilers. I was expecting, you know, the the people in there to somehow kill or escape or get arrested, The pe- get the people arrested that had put them in this situation. But, you know, Lawrence Giller Jr.'s character comes in to rescue Iris and he ends up getting killed. And most... In fact, every single contestant, except for the one who wins, are killed. She wins, and she takes, and she takes, spoiler alert, it's Iris that ends up winning. At the very end, the guy's like, Iris, this is great, we can go. And this guy's been nice to her throughout the game, and he's, he's, he's like, it's not even a question, we can go. And then Iris just shoots him. And, and then Shepard is like, oh, you should thank me now for this great thing I've done for you. And, you know, she thanks him, you know, begrudgingly. She gets the money, and she's like, oh, okay, she's very excited. She can get this life-saving procedure to go save her brother. And at the very end, she goes home, and the film ends as she finds her, her brother has overdosed and killed himself, showing that it was all pointless. It was all futile because the brother killed himself. It was all futile. All of that work she did was futile. Jesse? That's a lot to take in. It is, yes. But one, let me tell you about the gambler's fallacy Some real quick, guys. There's a whole uh, would you rather question where it's like you can either choose to be held underwater for four minutes or uh, not four minutes. What was it? Uh, two minutes. Either, you can either be choose to be held underwater for two minutes or open a mystery envelope that says what you have to do. And for some reason, everyone in the film was like, oh, no, two minutes underwater? That's impossible. That can't be done. We have to open our envelopes. And every single envelope had something worse than being held underwater for two minutes. I don't know if it's because we practiced drowning each other growing up, but I could easily do two minutes. Yeah, and also you got to think people probably want to go with what they know because they always have that fear of picking the unknown. No, that's that's... Most people... Oh, wait, that's the reverse. Yeah, it's reversed, right? You would rather take your chances? Yeah, but, I mean... I mean, most like people, the... like, most... Like, most people would probably... I meant to say most people would probably pick what they don't know than what they do know, because there's a chance of what they don't know being better than what they do know. Exactly. And even after the first two people had worse things in their envelopes, people still kept picking the envelopes, except one person who did pick the barrel. But... That's besides the point. This film is a very interesting lesson on exploitation. 
and a lesson on the futility of existence. And it really shows that the inevitability of suffering, because you can, you can, you can do all of these things and your motivations, you tell yourself whatever you need to tell you. You're like, I'm doing these horrible things, but I'm motivated. The only way to win is to just not play. If all of them had just said, nah, we don't feel like playing. And there was a time because they they outnumbered. I mean, there was one, they didn't have any weapons or anything, but there was a time when they, in the film, where they do like, you know, uh, try to escape. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for them, but they did make an attempt. And I feel like if I was in that situation, it's tough because you don't really know how you would react unless you're in that situation. What would, would you really do these terrible things for money? Because it doesn't start off with you have to kill the other person. It starts off with like, oh, shock him or hit, hit him with this whipping stick. Not think nothing things that would be unpleasant, sure, but nothing that would cause you no know, permanent damage right away. And one thing, Shepard is all about the integrity of the game. He makes a choice that is not very keeping with the integrity of the game because one of the characters upsets his son, and then for the next round of the game, that character is the target of all of the people's things. They like he targets this character, which makes it very much not fair. So as as long as he go. For as much as he went on about keeping the integrity of the game, he sure was quick to violate that principle when it became expedient to do so in his mind. It was like, oh, my, you have upset my son, therefore you are not going to win the game. It was that simple. And it shows how some people, even though they think they have a set of rules they play by, they really don't. I don't know, it was very interesting. Jesse, I'm very upset you didn't watch very many movies this month. I know. I was honestly surprised I got to even watching one. But don't worry, I'll have more movies this month. Well, speaking of that, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we'll be seeing that very soon. Very excited for that. Yes, finally time to go see a good Marvel production. Yes, it's been quite some time since we've had a good Marvel movie. Uh, But hopefully this one, when we'll see. Anything else you plan on seeing this month that you're excited for? I'm going to try to catch up on all the other DC animated movies that I haven't seen yet. By the way, I did forget to say, DC animated movies are better than any Marvel animated movie. I don't know about that, because Hulk vs. Wolverine is one of the best things. Yeah, but let me rephrase that. The majority of DC animated movies are better than the majority of Marvel animated movies. There haven't been really any Marvel animated movies in quite some time. Like, DC has this weird, like... DVD direct to DVD animation thing where they do like three or four animated movies a year. Marvel just doesn't really have anything similar to that. I'm not really sure why, but I think it would be really good if they did. They used to have something like that where they would release a few animated movies like every year, not to the extent that DC does, but there was Ultimate Avengers 1 and 2. There was a Doctor Strange animated film, an Iron Man one, uh, the next Avengers. And then Marvel just stopped doing that for some reason. I don't really know why. There was the Marvel Also, animation. Planet Hulk. Do what? Also, there's Planet Hulk. Planet Hulk is a much better adaptation of Hulk than the Hulk that was seen in Thor Ragnarok. But that's beside the point. Anyway, do you have any final thoughts, Jesse? Uh, just my final thoughts are is that I need to watch more movies this month. You do, so we can have more conversation. Well, anyway, thanks for being here. Everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully next time Jesse will have more to say and uh, I won't have to carry the program. <laughs> well, 
Thank you. Okay. Just bye bye. Bye.